you remember back to January 2017? Do you remember what was perhaps the biggest news story for a full three months? Millions of people turned into YouTube for, for a media phenomena. Some had a hard time walking away from their TV sets or their computers for fear that they would miss the big event. It was predicted for January, but it didn't come until April. Over that time, some eventually lost interest after literally losing nights of sleep. Then finally, in April of 2017, after a long three-month buildup, April the giraffe gave birth to her new calf. <laughs> Many celebrated a contest to name the new giraffe followed, and alas, uh, the world settled down. Now some, like me, mocked the hysteria. <laughs> Others yawned and went about their business, and, and many looked back in retrospect and thought about the time they had lost to such an event. It's funny the things that capture the attention of a watching world. And it's interesting the really important things that are often missed. Now no birth not April the Draft's calf, <laughs> and depending on your generation, not Desi and Lucy's son, Desi Jr., or John and Jackie's son, John Jr., not Prince Charles and Diana's son, William, or Prince William and Kate's son, George, has ever been so anticipated as that of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Since the first announcement to Adam and Eve that a Redeemer would come to their descendants in human form, God had revealed His plan through His Word in a variety of places that told us of the coming and the work of Jesus. And yet, as we'll see in this series, it went largely unnoticed in the world in which it took place. Now, at the time of the birth of Jesus, it would have been difficult to think of anyone more important in the ancient world than Caesar, the emperor of Rome. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning. And let's break into the Christmas story as Caesar, no doubt motivated by the collection of taxes, puts into motion a series of events that leads to the birth of Jesus in a way that God had foretold for literally hundreds of years. Luke is the author. He's the Gentile physician. He's not a Jew. He is the Apostle Paul's personal physician. And he writes for us this account of the life of Jesus. As we sometimes see at the beginning of a TV show where it says, previously on, whatever the show was, Luke chapter 1 unfolded for us the events that took place before the birth of Jesus namely the birth of John the Baptist and the revealing of God's plan for the birth of Jesus to his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. Now read with me about the, the beautiful chaos that surrounded the birth of Jesus, beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. When they were there, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now we will unfold this chapter over the next few weeks during our Christmas series, and we start by noting how God orchestrated the whole event. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the big picture here, but I can't let it pass either. Do you remember when I preached in our Ezra and Nehemiah series about God being the king of the kings? We talked about how God uses earthly leaders to accomplish his purposes. Now, the Jewish people had known for centuries that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the town of David. And Luke chronicles for us how God accomplishes this through Caesar Augustus and the census that he calls for for his people. Joseph and Mary, they lived in Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, it tells us about Mary's relationship with Joseph and how Joseph learned of Mary's pregnancy while they were betrothed. Now, their betrothal was much more binding, much more formal than our engagements are. So it was like being married, yet not officially being married. As was the custom, they had not yet been intimate. And so you can imagine the heartbreak for Joseph when he finds out that Mary is pregnant. He logically but incorrectly assumed that Mary had been unfaithful. Yet through an angel informing Joseph of God's plan and that Mary had not been unfaithful but had been made pregnant through a miracle by the Holy Spirit, Matthew tells us that upon hearing from God through an angel, Joseph embraced God's plan. And that he waited along with Mary for that plan to unfold, as we read here in Luke chapter 2. So toward the end of Mary's pregnancy, these two get word in Nazareth that a Roman decree has been issued that requires Israelite families to participate in a census. And as a part of this, Joseph has has to return to the home of his ancestors, Bethlehem. Unwilling to separate at such a critical time, Joseph and Mary make the 60-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem together. Now, Luke doesn't give us details of what a trip must have been like for a nine-month pregnant woman on the back of a donkey. But the beauty of it all is that these two young people were simply living life as was required of them and as best as they knew how. God, on the other hand, was weaving a beautiful picture through all of the chaos that was taking place in and around their lives to accomplish His purposes. Bethlehem now would would have been very overcrowded, right? All from the line of David had to return there for the census. And unlike our day and time, there were no hotels simply built to house vacationers. The best one could hope for was a spare room in someone's home. So the NIV translation of there was no guest room available for them is probably good wording. 
These two are unable to find an available room, so what unfolds is that history's most important birth takes place in a shelter meant for animals. And the Son of God is laid in a manger, literally a feeding trough, upon his birth. Now, we don't have any idea of whether or not Joseph and Mary were aware of all the prophecies that were being fulfilled as these events unfolded. Likely they were not. We do know from other references that King Herod was ignorant of them. And certainly we would not expect the Roman Emperor Caesar to be purposefully following a divine plan. But all of this, these events remind us that history and each individual life belong to God. We don't have to be aware of these things for them to be true and for God to be working His plan. Now, isn't that encouraging in a year like 2020 with the reminders that Drew brought to us last week? Isn't it a relief to know that God is capable of ruling the world without our help? <laughs> that we don't have to put all of the pieces the puzzle pieces of life together, that our simple faithfulness to God's call on our individual lives can be used by God to accomplish something incredible. And that is a result of all this, that we don't carry the pressure or the burden to do something incredible in the midst of this chaotic world. Luke 2 is a reminder that God uses the lives of those who willingly serve Him. Now back in our text, we find no celebrities. There's no one with a spotlight on them. Certainly Joseph knows he is part of something special, right? After all, he's been visited by an angel. But he has no map of how things are supposed to unfold or any understanding of, of how God is going to use the events of the day to accomplish His purposes. And Mary has interacted with the angel Gabriel. And she spent time with her, her relative Elizabeth. She's watched God work up to this point. But I imagine these two teenagers are simply trying to figure out how to accomplish the task of registering for the census that was required by law. Pick up with me again in Luke 2, beginning in verse 4, where it says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So teenagers from Nazareth end up in Bethlehem to give birth to their son, just as God had said in Micah that it would happen some 700 years before it actually did happen. Joseph and Mary agreed to be used by God, and they followed his plan as it unfolded. Were they faithful? Yes. Did they trust him? Well, it appears so. And I don't want to downplay their faith, nor their faithfulness, as they were both significant in the scheme of things. But I also don't want us to think that they were all that different than we are when we simply follow 
God's will for our lives as it unfolds before us. See, God uses our simple acts of faithful obedience to accomplish His purposes, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of others. I mean, someone allowed Joseph and Mary to use that stable. Maybe you chose a tag from our giving tree and blessed someone with a gift. Someone else helps and builds a relationship with Tanya, who stands outside at the edge of the Walmart and AutoZone parking lots. Others spend time mentoring a teenager from our church who's struggling through life. The act is important because it's what God is calling you to do. And yet your willing heart responding to God's prompting, that's the catalyst for the ministry that happens. God uses, he uses eyes that see things as he does. Ears that listen to his call for action. Hearts that warm the lives of others through their generosity. And hands that perform his work without any fanfare. Simply because they respond when God presents a need. Because what is really important as we fulfill our unique roles in this life is that God is at work among us. You see, God worked in their world just as he does in our world to bring about his purposes, often without our knowledge. God often works through the willing participation of his servants, even in our limited knowledge of everything that he's doing. In Luke chapter 2, being in verse 6, we read again, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, it's a good thing that God is at work because so often we can't make sense out of the way this life unfolds. I, for one, can't always see how things can be honoring to God or how he's at work in the chaos around me. Think about yourself being in the shoes or, or the sandals of Joseph and Mary. You don't know all of God's plan, but you do know the nature of the child you're carrying. How must they have felt when there was no room for them to stay? Did they feel like you and I would have? Did they second-guess if they should have even made the trip? Or if they took too long? Or why was God making this so difficult? How must they have felt when they gave birth to God's son in a barn or a cave designed for animals? How must it have felt to place God's son in a feeding trough? Why couldn't they provide an appropriate place for God's son to be born? I mean, have you ever felt like your best just wasn't good enough for God? Have you ever felt inadequate for what you sensed God was calling you to do? Have you ever felt like things were just not working out the way God would want them and that, that somehow you are responsible for all of this being subpar? Yeah, I have. And I do, still, often. Mary and Joseph must have struggled with this. And yet we see that the very things they struggled with were not only known by God, but told in advance because God knew in advance just how it would play out. 
God could have made a guest room available. He could have delayed the census. He could have done any number of things to change the circumstances for the birth of Jesus. But instead, he simply looked into the future, understood how the world would unfold, and then spoke of these things literally hundreds of years before they happened so that history would confirm the identity of the Son of God, Emmanuel, as it unfolded in real time. They may have struggled, Mary and Joseph, with shame over a situation they couldn't control. And yet we realize through history that God is in control of the situation all along. It's a good reminder to us that it's good when we let God be God and we simply engage as his faithful servants. Listen, our faithfulness is all he ever asks from us. He's at work around us. And when we are faithful, we realize that he is also at work in us. And yes, he is also at work through us. And if you really want uh, to have your mind blown, look back over your life and see that he has even worked through us and in us in spite of when we were not even completely faithful. Life is and is not about you all at the same time. Certainly we are called by God to be faithful to put our lives into play and to realize that our lives and our choices do really matter. My life matters to my wife, to my children, to my grandchildren, to my coworkers and my friends, to my church, my neighbors and the like. It matters that I know and follow Jesus, that I am being changed by Jesus and that I am on mission for Jesus. Yet God is the one who determines my role in the grand scheme of life. I am the servant. He is the master. I am the creation. He is the creator. I live the life that he lays out before me, and he orchestrates the whole universe and everyone in it for his purposes. He carries the burden of being God and I do not. Listen, life is a beautiful chaos when we let God live in us and through us to accomplish his good work. In fact, we are his good work according to what Paul writes when he says in Ephesians 2.10 and he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. As we move through this season of Christmas that is upon us, will you slow down long enough to take a step back and realize that God is at work among us, using our lives as we simply serve Him to orchestrate His purposes in our world? And today... Will you commit yourself anew to letting God use you by simply being faithful to the life that he has called you to live? If you're finding success in this journey, let us know that so we can celebrate with you. If you're struggling, reach out to us so that we can provide help and support. 
And if you want to live for God and don't quite know how, connect with us so that we can help you to connect with Him. Have a beautiful week loving and serving God and one another.